talking crime, cases, and backing the blue. Now, here are your hosts, Captain Ed Mamet and Detective Kevin Schroeder. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Cop Talk. My name is Kevin Schroeder, retired NYPD detective, and I'm here with my co-host, retired Captain of Police, Ed Mamet. Hello, WABC listeners. Thanks, Ed. Today's guest is Isaac Ahmad. He's an Israeli police commander. Until recently, he served as Israeli police attache to North America, and he's also served on the IACP, the International Association of Chiefs of Police, and he was on the board of directors with them. Welcome, Isaac. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. Um, we'd like to start with, why don't you tell our audience your background, your career in law enforcement? Well, I joined uh, the force, the Israel National Police, back in 1984. Most of the time, because I can speak uh, Arabic, I deal with uh, what we call counterterrorism investigation and intelligence. Um, this is a very unique section that uh, you have to be very, I would say, very curious and very, and you, it's always challenged because things and investigation and intelligence many times help you to prevent suicide bomber doing his way to kill people or any kind of uh, terror attack. After many years of working in what we call the Jordan Samaria area, which is the behind the green line, what we say in Israel of 67. The structure of the Israel National Police is we have seven different districts. In each one of them, the commander of the district is a major general. So I worked also in a lot of different police stations. And then I would say actually turning point, 2013, I have been appointed to be the head of the the juvenile delinquency department at the headquarters of the Israel National Police in Jerusalem. I, I, you know, I knew about juvenile and about delinquency in general, but to focus on this subject, you know, and to learn so many things, especially in our generation, I was privileged to lead, to build, and and to create a new unit by the name Maor. Maor in Hebrew is light. And the reason I pick up this name of light is it's opposite to the website of Darknet, where he can do a lot of illegal activities. And I found out that it's not only in Israel, but when I was in the United States, everybody likes the idea. And I gave lectures all over about Maor, the strategy, and why it became so popular. Actually, cyberbullying, sexual offenses, all everything goes to the website. And we have to decide as a democratic society how what is our approach against cyberbullying, which is not criminal activity by definition. For example, if a girl goes to the school and she's been insulted because they told her that she she's ugly. She is fat and so forth and so on. And she's coming back home crying. And sometimes, sometimes, unfortunately, we had worse cases of children who commit suicide because what we call cyberbullying. So I did a very serious job in this matter for almost two years. And it was actually the first time I had the, I, I was 
It was the opportunity to present it to the prime minister and the government, the project that I'm leading. And actually, it's, it's, it's a lot, you know, it's about budget and about this side that such a unit, almost 300 people work at the Maor now. But the, the first stone made by me, and I'm very proud of this project of the Maor. When I'm done with this, they offer me, actually, my wife wanted it very much. There were 16 attaches to the Israel National Police worldwide. In America, there is much more attaches in all over the world. But in Israel, we have 16. The most senior used to sit in New York, and then they remove it to the uh, um, uh, Israel embassy in Washington, D.C. for the last, I would think, 16 years. And um, I found myself at the United States with my family, with, uh, you know, uh, bringing all my experience and knowledge and learn about your fantastic, fabulous country and uh, made a lot of friends. And part of it, I was blessed to be the first international police officer from Israel or from any other country to be on the board of the of the IACP, which is the International Association of Chief of Police. This is a very unique position that I was privileged to have. And of course, to meet a lot of higher senior officers from all over the world, at least four or five times a year, we got together. One of them, it's the annual event this year. It's, it's going to take place in San Diego. And I was in, I'm invited to the inauguration of the new president. So I'm planning to come in October once again to San Diego, uh, especially for this. Yeah, by the way, we might meet you there in San Diego. <laughs> well, that's, let's book a dinner. Okay. <laughs> that would be great. That would be great. We will talk about this, how to build relationship between uh, law enforcement and what I did. And there is now, for example, every year, you know, they have a president every, every year. It's a new president. So I established during my time, during my role over there, that once a year, there was a presidential tour to Israel. So the ICP president with some, you know, some, uh, um, I would say uh, some more executive from the executive and other, they are coming here and I'm leading them in Israel doing the meetings, even after my retirement. So we are like a family now. Therefore, the new president asked me and put my name on the list to be one of the VIPs to come to honor him in San Diego on this event of inauguration to be the new ICP president. And I think it's a huge achievement. And it's, of course, honor for me. I want to ask you a question about the protests. I'm not a politician, but I will try to make it as simple as I can. If, if you take Israel and divide it to two, it's a very similar to Republicans and Democrats in the United States. Some of them are more traditional people, I would say Republican, and some of them are more liberal people, which is the Democrats. Very similar. It's different size, but very similar. The Supreme Court in Israel got, have 15 judges. Each one of them is respectable, but they are all, all of them are professional appointment, not presidential one. The system in Israel, so if human rights or any other issue is a public to be discussed at the Supreme Court. So if the government decide that they, I don't know, something that maybe will offend minorities, 
the Supreme Court can change the decision of the government. So the main question is the white balance between the government and independence court. Because the independence court can actually almost change its decision of the government. Well, they are not doing this. They are not interfering. But the line is very delicate. So people, if you are the prime minister and you want a role business, or if you are the minister of health or education or public safety, you want to take your own decision. You want to decide who is the guy who's going to be your CEO to run your office. Makes sense. Makes sense. But people can apply to court and to say, well, this guy is not 100% kosher because this or any other reason. And the Supreme Court can decide that this guy is not kosher enough to be the CEO. So the ministers, I am the minister. You are just a judge. You stay in your place. Therefore, I'm trying to describe it, you know, shortly, but this is the, the, the big issue. Who is stronger and who got more rights? Now, people who say the government now says we got Benjamin Netanyahu and the parties together, they have 64 mandates out of 120. So they are the majority and they can lead the policy. They want to decide things. They want to give budget the way they want. They want uh, to 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 do things that they promised to the to the audience, to the public before they've been elected, and so forth and so on. And they are saying, you can't block us with the court anymore. You can't threat us and everything. We want to run the government. We want to run the business. We want to run the life here in Israel. But how does that affect the police the, uh, in Israel? Okay, the big problem. Yeah. But wait, I, have to, I have two things I want to ask you quickly. You said that the, the Supreme Court judges are not appointed by the pr prime minister. How are they appointed? Here in the United States, the president appoints the Supreme Court for That's life, they have a lifetime appointment. How are they appointed in Israel? Are they elected? Okay, so in, in, Israel, in Israel, they have committee, a special committee with delegations from the minister of justice, from, uh, from the public, from the lawyers. There is the association of the lawyers, you know, attorneys. Association and two politicians. All together are nine. From the nine, they should have a majority when they vote for uh, uh, to appoint a Supreme Court or any other judge. Okay, so, so they're neither they're neither, so they're not elected by they're neither elected by the population nor are they appointed no. prime minister. Okay, no, so they get you know they get the mandate from some of them. Say so here the new government says. This is a corruption. This is not fair because it, they are always have those deals between them. I will vote for you. You will vote for me and so forth and so on. And they don't like the idea. But the people in Israel afraid that if the prime minister and the coalition will decide about the Supreme Court, it will be a really corruption. And we are on the way for the, instead of democracy, to a dictatory. Okay, because bit, only in dictatories, they say, so... Listen, there is a joke about here. Wherever you have two Jews, it's at least four opinion. At least. <laughs> so, 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 so that's the way it is. What I'm right, get, to getting back to getting back to the police. Well, this is yes, what the, yes. the big thing is. The protests naturally involve the police. 
Yes. This is what we'd like to focus in on. Yes, yes, yes. So it's a very delicate and fragile situation in one way. If you stick to the fact nothing, nobody gets hurt. We are 29 weeks of demonstration every day. And by by having those huge protests and riots, I would say riots as well, because some of them, they are doing escalation from time to time. If it's not enough and the government still doing, trying to create the law that they don't like, they protest. It starts with 1,000 people. Now it's quarter of a million people, 200, 250,000 people come every gathering together in, in Tel Aviv, Jerusalem, other places. Now they go to the airport. It's this high season. People want to fly. They block. You miss your flight. What about this lady who want to give birth and ambulance is blocking with those rights? And so you, you can imagine life goes on. There is a problem. So they are losing, in a way, a bit of empathy and sympathy by the way they are doing because they are blocking highway. Now, you are not supposed to block highway. I can't imagine. I lived in Washington, D.C., and they have the belt highway around Washington. You can't block the, the, the belt. Nobody will let you to block it even if it's a democracy. Nobody will let you to block it for hours. This is what people expect from the police to make sure that the way will be open for the public because they need the highway. So basically, the conflict is is getting worse from day to day, but we have to understand this is the only stable democracy in the area of the Middle East. Because I'm not sure in in any other country from our neighbors, they were allowed to protest 29 weeks, at least twice a week, and to block half of the country. So they demonstrate nobody nobody get killed, nobody get shot, nothing like this happened. There were a few arrests, yes. Few people get arrested and they get released after 24 hours or even less. But nothing. So this is say about our democracy. I'm proud to be in a country that you can protest freedom of speech and say what you think. Even the fact that they are protesting for the last 29 weeks and nothing, thanks God, happened so far. Nothing seriously, no casualties, no injuries, maybe one or two, but nothing very serious. As a chief of police, I can tell you one thing. It's a challenge. You have to you have to be not only right, you have to be clever and you have to be not a politician, but you have to understand. Sometimes it's better to give the people to protest and to block the highway for 15 minutes or 20 minutes and not to go with horses and to break heads or with water or, you know, sometimes you have to let it go even for an hour. Of course, you will be criticized in this way or the other. The police is always in the middle. But we get paid for taking the right decision. That's what I teach my cadet for many years when I was constructor, when I was structure at the police academy. They pay you for taking the right decision or to take decisions. Sometimes it can be wrong, but take a decision and make, 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 you know, all the consideration how to protect life. I think that the balances is part of our tools. And you always have to do to balance the, your decision. Sometimes I say it's going to cost maybe, maybe, you know, public safety got to do with human rights. But 
Human rights not replacing. It's not one against each other. The freedom of speech and protest is very important, but also public safety is important. What you described is is the way the police in New York City have handled these protests. Like I worked in Manhattan for many years, and we would let the people take over the streets and scream and yell for an hour or so rather than arrest everybody. And eventually they would, they would wear themselves out and then they go home. Well, you see, if it works in New York, it should work in Tel Aviv. Uh, so. New York City police are, are used to that kind of uh, information. Uh, but I think Kevin has some questions for you. Sure. Um, I, I just want to touch on, getting back again, everything you're speaking about, Isaac. How do you feel the pol- Israeli police force, as well as uh, you know, uh, Israeli security forces, are dealing with the situation? What's your feeling? I think they are under stress because... We are not used to such, uh, I would say, such a process for so long. We do have them, riots and demonstrations about the subject once or twice, you know, not for almost six months every week, a few times a week. So if you're asking the police officer on ground, some of them feel uncomfortable at all because before they are a police officer, they are citizen. Some of them believes in illegal reforms that should happen, and some of them against it, just the same. So they have to leave their feelings and their beliefs outside and to keep being police officer and professional police and to follow the orders. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. The, um, you know, one of the interesting, one of the things that I found most interesting, I, I've been to Israel about 10 times. First time was in 1980. Uh, now, over there, you have these security agencies. You have the Mossad and you have yes. Shabbat, you have yes. the police. And I believe the Mossad would be the equivalent of the CIA here in the United States. And I believe the Shin Bet would be the equivalent of the FBI here in the United States. Uh, am I right in, in that assessment? That's I mean, correct. Yes, that's me with the equivalent. That's the, when I was the police attaché in the United States, so I had connection with the CIA, is the Mossad, like you say. Uh, the Israel National Police and the Shin Bet are equivalent to the FBI. So I used to work a lot with the FBI, sharing uh, knowledge and information and 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 best uh, um, you know best practicing. And uh, delegation, professional teams uh, with the FBI. I've been to Quantico many times. I went to their headquarters many times in Washington, D.C., and they came to Israel. Um, Their relationship, or by the law, I would say the relationship or the legal position in Israel between the Israel National Police and the Shin Bet uh, is based. The Shin Bet got responsibility to bring intelligence and to uh, prevent terror. But they are not dealing with the investigation by the law to build the file, the record, and to take it to court, to indict, to indict somebody. This is the police and the prosecution work. 
So there is kind of separation between the goal of the Shin Bet and the goal of the Israel National Police. You know, if you go back 1949 or 1948 to David Ben-Gurion, who was the first prime minister, he says that uh, everybody, most of the people in Israel probably read about this. He says about the IDF, the Israel Defense Forces, the army, is the security of the state of Israel. And the Israel National Police is the owner and the owner, the dignity of the state of Israel. Kind of separation, like those people have to work domestically and to serve the people, and the other, the army, have to protect the borders. So the, if you say the Shin Bet, I work very close with them. We are doing a lot of sharing, a lot of information together, a lot of activities together, special units of the police and the Shin Bet, always co full cooperation, 24-7, happen daily. But the goal, officially goal of the Shin Bet is to, you know, to prevent counterterrorism before it's happened. And if something happened, it's the police job to collect the evidence and to indict the people. And what about the relationship with the Mossad? Is there any? Only yes. Well, we have, but... Um, mm, well, it, it's much more open now, but I would say until 20 years ago, it was Mossad is like the CAA. Can you tell me if there is any close relationship between NYPD to the CAA? No, there isn't. Okay. Mossad so, is very, the CAA is very tight-lipped. But, but yeah, but we have, because especially when, when you are a police attaché, so you deal with things together with them. but. Um, I would say that the Mossad is 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 different goals at all, and his activity is much more confidential, and maybe it should stay this way. But when it's necessary, I can give you give you also some of from the history. For example, if you remember Adolf Eichmann, who was a yes, you remember the story. So the the Mossad went and bring him over from Argentina. And then they create a unit with the Israel National Police of investigation, testimonies, collecting evidence, and indict him. Here you go. So there is a cooperation when it's necessary. And uh, maybe to be undercover here or there or for help, mutual assistance, yes, it's happened. But different, uh, different uh, identity at all. So like what about the, the, the border police? Are they part of the oh, army yeah. or part, yeah. of, the, no. part of the yes. police? So in Israel, like I said, we have seven districts and the border police. The border police are part of the Israel National Police. It's like semi-armor. They are they have the but they have to do officer, you know, policemen course as well. Do they start as police or do they come from the military into the they, police? They started the military, but they started the military of the border police. So there is there is even in the army, when you are 18, and I know it's different in the United States, but in Israel, guys, when you are 18, it's mandatory. You have to go to do your service for three years. If you are a boy or a girl, it's two years. So they can volunteer from the very beginning of the 18 to the border police to be qualified over there and, and then to continue. Some of them continue as a career at the Israel National Police. Now, what about the, uh, how has technology uh, affected police work? What is the impact on uh, 
on the enhancing public safety. I know that when I was there in 1980, and I was there, I think, in 1984, the Israeli police or the Israeli government they had terrific technology. Oh, so, yeah. Oh, you should come now. You should come now and see. Well, we call they call us, I don't know if you're familiar, they call us the, the startup nation because there is a lot of technology. So we use it a lot at the Israel National Power example. I will give you just one example. Uh, some of them will be able to, to see together uh, the ICP, if you guys coming to there is Israeli companies that are going to present their technology. Uh, Face recognition, for example, if you are as a chief of police in New York City and you are running a, a, um, a, a festival in one of the stadiums and uh, there is 100,000 or 200,000 people who come to see a rock star and you got intelligence from the NYPD that this guy or the other is coming and maybe he's a suicide bomber who can come. If you have his face on data, so the Israelis invent new invention that I was, you know, I was shocked. Even if he's covering his, his head, even if he's putting a beer, even if ever, just a bit of his face from a camera, side camera, would tell you, hey, this is your man. Be aware. This is one of the things. There is a lot of other. We have a lot, a lot of, of technology. Actually, I think technology is taking taking over too much in a way. Everything got to do with technology and very, very sophisticated, very, very clever. Some of them are very nice. I can show you, like we have, I saw a few robots. One of them is, is coming this year to San Diego. Unbelievable. It's not only robots who save lives. He can climb stairs. He can negotiate in different language. And if it's necessary, the Glock pistol is coming and he's shooting the guy before he will shoot other innocents. I think I've seen that on YouTube. Is that the one where they knock it down and it comes back up and they shoot it? Yes. And yes. <laughs> very, you know, so it's, it's, it's very nice and it's all in very, Israel invention are very popular. Did you guys know that when you're driving your car and using Waze? Yes, this we know it's You know, even the flash drive of their computer, we call it discount key. The flash drive, it's in Israeli. We make we have so many inventions. We make people blind people virtual see, and so many others. We are very proud of it. And people in Israel are afraid that people who invest money from all over the world will stop invest money and it will affect the economy because if they will change, you know, the, the regime in a way, like What's Benjamin Netanyahu and the government trying to do? People say that it might affect the economy as well. But we will see in a few weeks. I will be much more clever and I will be happy to talk to you once again and tell you if we are good or no. Kevin? Yes, Isaac, uh, that brings me to my next question. Uh, what, what, what do you think are the main factors behind Israel's success in counterterrorism? When you are talking about the police, the difference between the Israeli police and other police, it's what we call classical uh, <clears throat> police officers. So when you join the police forces in Israel, it's not, they don't teach you how just, you know, the law and how to book people and how to deal with drug dealers and thieves and robbery and so and traffic. They teach you also about counterterrorism, physical trainings. And not less important is how, that's what I was trying to do when, during many years, 
is to teach people to identify suspect in counterterrorism from the way they look, the way they dress, the way they speak, the way they breathe, the way they sweat. The knowledge of all those signs is very, very important. So if you're asking me, the, the way we deal with counterterrorism is in two things. One of them is the awareness and the tools. Now there is also a technological tools that we give the police officer to use. And the second one, which is very important, and unfortunately, it's after so many years that we, we lost life of people, we found about something very, very, I would say, effective, unique. And I gave a few lectures in the United States about this. We call it the unified command. For example, if something happened in Jerusalem or Tel Aviv, so the chief of this area, even if he is just, let's say, a colonel, okay? And even he is the boss. The meaning of he is the boss is that all the other emergency services have to obey to his orders. Now, if you are taking from a guy from the fire department, he will look for his sergeant to get orders. No, you have to listen to those or unify command. Everything is under one head of a one man. Even if the commissioner is coming, he is not going to, to be involved by taking other decisions. We found out that once it's defined who is the boss of this scene and we don't change the games, it makes life easier. We drill them a lot. If you're asking me tactically, we do a lot of drill. We drill situations of you know of terror attack different kind of them in the public places in 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 hotels in in suites restaurants and so and we found out that once there is only one boss and he's everybody i mean the the medical forces the fire department the police officers and more even the municipality people they follow his orders it make life easier because everybody knows what he should do that that concept is called unity of command. Yes. Unity of command is one person is responsible for everything. That's correct, sir. Exactly. One more question, and then I'll turn it over to Kevin to, to, to finalize this great interview. Uh, you've lectured in the past on less than lethal police tactics. Can you quickly tell us about that? So, like in most of the democratic countries, we the last option is to use weapon or to use deadly force deadly force we we actually using a lot of technology and things that are familiar all over the world i think in manhattan and other places you use horses you use police officers in in order to to you know to do order in order to do your job but when are we using and this is something very unique in israel the non-lethal, like you say, is very important for us, and we are trying not to do so. And unbelievable, because when you are 18, you have to go to the army, so we are using, this is very powerful things in Israel, we're using volunteers. So the people in Israel, after they are, you know, when they became a civilian, after they arrive to the age of 21, they are actually just a civilian like everybody else after doing their duty in the army. A lot of them 
are joining the Israeli National Police as volunteers. So if you go to each police station on Friday night during Shabbat during Saturday, you would see in, in each police car one or two swarm police and about four or five volunteers. We train them and we qualify them when it's necessary to shoot and when it's mandatory to shoot and when not. But the people of Israel, even without being at the police, this is unbelievable. They do the differences between criminal activity and terror activity. If somebody walking on the street, civilian, before the police arrive, even before the police, and we endorse it and encourage it because it saved lives. People, I saw many, 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 many cases of people who were waiting on a, for the bus on the station, pregnant woman, old lady, young boy, get butchered by a terror activity. A guy who coming with a knife or an axe says, Allah Akbar, and start stabbing them. So it's take even a minute, even one minute, it's a long time. It can kill more people in one minute. So the people, the pedestrian, the civilian are really engaging fast. And they are shooting with no doubt, getting rid of it. So when you ask them, so I came, he says, yes, this was, a, he says, this is human life. This is a terror activity. We have to help the police. It will take you 40 seconds or two minutes to arrive. In two minutes, you can kill more children or pregnant ladies. So the people, they are engaged. They are happy to engage and to do a police work, even if they are not a police officer. This is very unique, and we trust them. And you know what? We got le not less than 45,000 volunteers. And this is very, I'm, I'm very proud of it because my son, I retired from the police. Now I'm volunteering at the police. And my son, when he's 30, he, see, he saw his father. So when you are in the age of 16, you got the right to start with this. So he also want to be volunteer and to help the people and to help the police. It's not only for the police, it's also for other emergency services. But those people who are licensed with a pistol, they are, you know, they involved, they're involved, save many lives. So basically, we are trying to do as a police officer all the activities not to use shooting or any, like you say, not deadly weapon or not a non-lethal, uh, uh, like you say. Uh, uh, but, of course, when we do the differences, when somebody is coming with a, a, an exit, so we don't have any other options. Because those people who decide to commit suicide, if it's a suicide bomber, then you have to take his decision and to shoot him before he will kill other people. And I love that, that Israeli term, the, you've eliminated them. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Kevin, over important. to you, Kevin. Thank you, Captain. Uh, Isaac, is there an age limit uh, for retirement, a retirement requirement yes. at a certain age? What is that? Age of the police to retire? Yes. Okay, yes. so in America, it's after 20 years, you can, you, can, you can actually, I think in America, in most of the places, but in Israel, you join the police, and it depends on your rank. Sometimes they encourage you in the age of 50. Uh, if you are a high officer, they will give you uh, an option. But most of it, if it's not for medical reasons, then you have to do something like 25 years at least. Most of the people does more, but it shouldn't be more higher than 57. Lately, lately, some of the people who are high-ranking, they are over the 60s and they are still there as, a, as a chiefs of police. 
But mandatory, the age of 57 is the limit. You have to retire in this age if you are a police officer. You can collect every year of service 2%. And the maximum percent for your retirement will be 76%. So if you take to the consideration three years of mandatory service at the army, it's 6%. Okay, each one is 2%. And then you add to this 35 years of service, most of the people would return. Now, most of the people are retiring at the, around the age of 50. Yeah, in, in NYPD, it's 63 years old uh, is the um, mandatory retirement age, 63, which is young. <laughs> <laughs> so the mandatory mandatory is 57? In Israel, but lately, like I say, you can ask, you can ask to extend it for more, and oh. you can you can get you can get another another. It depends what what is your occupation, right. what is your rank, how necessary it is. But mandatory is fifty seven. Again, let's go to the Supreme Court because the Supreme Court says few years ago that people after fifty seven, if they are in a good condition, good health and they are necessary, they can continue with the contract to work. But the maximum percentage of retirement is 76. Oh, 76. That's that's good. That's fair. <laughs> but like I said, NYPD is only 63. And that's unfortunate because 63 is young, and there's you know a lot. NYPD is losing a lot of experience. Guys moving on at 63. Uh, one last question, Isaac. Uh, what advice would you give law enforcement leaders uh, who want to make a strong, positive impact? What, what advice would you give? So I would say that we all have the same goal. I would say that all over the world, because we are sharing the same values, Israel and America, NYPD and the Israel National Police, and I'm looking always forward to make fruitful discussion with them. They are coming here. We we are the good guys, and we are trying to, to take the bad guys to put them behind bar. So it's the same the same goal all over. I don't have any special uh, recommendation to say only one thing that um, the I would say the fundamental people and the radical people from all over the world in all over the world are trying you know to raise their head once again and we have to be aware and when it's got to do public safety between human rights we have to do that the balance always should Go first of all to save life. All the rest can stay a bit. Saving life, this is much, much higher, than, in my opinion, more than everything else. We agree, Isaac. Uh, I, I've never been to Israel. I hope someday to come to Israel. If you come thank to you. Israel, you're most, most welcome to. I will be happy to meet thank you and to host you. Thank you. Next time you're in New York, let Ed and I know. Thank you so much. It was a oh. pleasure. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. Isaac Almog, thank you so much. Uh, you've been a great guest. You've been very informative what's going on in Israel. And stay safe. Thank you again. Thank you so much. Thank you. And for everyone who enjoyed our show today, please subscribe. And you could also follow us on Twitter at TopTalkWABC. That's at TopTalkWABC. Thank you. Until next time, be safe out there.